Welcome to The Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mom of six kids, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Pain Show. I have been eagerly anticipating this podcast recording for a number of weeks when I found out it was maybe going to happen and then probably for sure going to happen because I am sitting across from a woman who has deeply impacted my life. Um, it's just been a short time that I have really started following her and reading and listening to her. But in that short time frame, I have been so inspired and so encouraged and Jesse has heard me say many, many, many times, hey, I want you to listen to this, or hey, I was reading this. And so Felicia Masonheimer, she is the author of Every Woman, a Theologian, Know What You Believe, Live It Confidently, Communicate It Graciously. Felicia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad this worked out. I am so excited that you are going to come to Tennessee so we could sit down and have this um, podcast interview. Also, just selfishly because I'm excited to get to chat outside of the podcast interview, but you have this niche. I don't know that that's the word that you would want to describe it, but what you do online is really encouraging women that theology matters. Um, And I just, I love that because I think so often in our day-to-day lives, especially as women and moms and wives, we can get so busy with just all the doing And we don't really have time or we feel like we don't have time or we don't make the time to think about what we believe and how it impacts our everyday life. So before we dive into this book, I'd love for you to take a minute and just introduce yourself to my audience. Sure. So I'm from Northern Michigan. So we came down to Tennessee to be warm. (laughs) And I am married for nine years to my husband, Josh. We have three kids seven, five, and two, two girls and a boy. And I am the founder and CEO of Every Woman a Theologian, which is a business and a ministry teaching women and men how to know what they believe, live it boldly, and communicate it graciously. Because too often we either don't know what we believe or we do know what we believe, but we don't live it out or we can't communicate it in a loving way. And so our mission as a ministry is to help Christians know the truth of scripture for themselves, but also live it in a way that's authentic and in a way that is compelling and kind. And so we have the privilege of working together, my husband and I, and leading a team to create resources to accomplish that. So how did you get into this? Like from the time you were little, have you always just loved theology? Is this something that you just always knew, like, I want to teach women theology? I did not know that. I actually had my eyes set on becoming either a lawyer or a journalist because I did like to write and I do write for a living now. So that's exciting. But um, what really got me interested in this was when I was 18 years old, one of my good friends um, was interested in atheism. And I was growing up in a Christian home and he was in a Christian home. And so he was reading about atheism, talking to me about atheism, and I became interested in what he was interested in. So I started studying these famous 
works by atheists like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens. And through studying that and comparing it to scripture, I came out on the other side even more convinced that Jesus was who he said he was and that the Bible was true. And so I took that passion with me into college and ended up getting a religion degree. Didn't plan on going into ministry still because I had a career in higher education. I was working for the university, but the Lord just had different plans. And I ended up using that degree to teach the Bible online on my blog. And over the years, it grew to what it is today, an international online ministry teaching theology to women. So definitely a winding path, not your typical path to full-time ministry, but just going through the doors that God opened. And it's been such a privilege to get to walk with women who are asking really hard questions, who are wrestling with things like atheism, who question God and wonder about suffering in the world as we look at what scripture says and find out God's heart. So why does theology matter? So before I answer why theology matters, I want to say what theology is, because I think a lot of women hear theology and they go, not me, not interested. That sounds like leather bound books, 1785, cigars, C.S. Lewis. That's not me. (laughs) And everybody has a theology. That's something we don't realize. If you're an atheist, your idea that God doesn't exist, that's a theology. If you're a Muslim, your understanding of Allah, that's a theology. And so for Christians, which is what I am and what I teach, our theology is based on the Bible. And so theology matters because for Christians, everything you do in marriage and parenting and how you make your decisions about money and the decisions you make about your job, all of that comes back to what you believe about God, His love, his goodness, his justice, your whole framework for all of life and your decisions is based on your theology. So you already are engaging with theology every day. You just don't know it. So that's why we teach and I teach how to actually check our assumptions about God against the Bible so we can walk in the truth. Mm. So I want to ask a question that I feel like there are probably a lot of people listening right now who they've had differing experiences with church and they are probably saying right now, well, I don't even know that I believe that the Bible is true. So how am I going to base a theology on something that I don't even know if I believe in? I think that's a great question. And it's one that I actually wrestled with several years ago because I was asking some questions as I was teaching about sexuality online and thinking, you know, why does the Bible even get to tell me what to do with my body? Why does God get to do that? And how do I know the Bible is actually the word of God? And so I really broke it down and went back to the historical texts, went to the scholars and looked at how do we know where these books came from and how they were compiled. And through that study, came to understand, comparing it to other historical documents about the Caesars, about Alexander the Great, that there are more early eyewitness accounts of the Gospels and Jesus' life than there are eyewitness accounts to Alexander the Great and some of the Caesars. Mm. That's crazy. We never question that those historical figures were real or that they did what these documents say, and yet there's more testifying to Jesus than to either of those people. And if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, what we see is over and over, as soon as there was a, a revelation of God that was written down, the community saw it as authoritative, they confirmed it, and they walked in it. And that is, again, a sign of 
the authenticity of a document over the course of 4,000 years, this is compiled with the same message, a consistent message that's unheard of. It wasn't given to one prophet out of the sky in secret. It wasn't translated in secret. It was written publicly, confirmed publicly by thousands of people over 4,000 years. And that is what is so compelling to me about the Bible. Mm. Now, the Old Testament, again, I'm going to ask a question that I feel like a lot of people feel. There's a lot of stuff in there that it is confusing. Um, It kind of just doesn't feel very fair or right. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Well, again, I think that acknowledging that is a really good start for anyone wrestling with their theology. Like we, we shouldn't be afraid to ask God these questions. He's not afraid of ours. You know, I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we think, well, I can't bring this question to God. And it's like, God already knows. He already knows what you're thinking. So you might as well voice it and wrestle with it because he is big enough to handle that. But secondly, when we look at these hard passages in the Old Testament, there's a couple things to remember. First of all, they had a historical context. And it's so important to really study it out in that historical context and work with the scholars who know this history because we bring so much of our bias, our cultural American Western bias to the text. And then we think, well, because I'm unconsciously, we think this because I'm in 2023 America, I know better than, you know, 1500 BC. Israel, and they should have done it this way. And we miss the power of what was happening. So for example, some of the laws in Leviticus that we think, this is brutal. Why are there so many sacrifices? Or why is this happening this way? So many of those were direct, like the flip side of what the culture was doing at that time. They were actually protecting and honoring women, protecting and including people in the community who otherwise would not have been able to be included. But we miss it because of our bias. One um, author calls it chronological snobbery, Mm. that we think we're so much better because we're born in 20, you know, the 2000s. Mm. Well, I wasn't born in the 2000s, but some of y'all probably are. So we, we just have this idea, I could do it better because I am in modern times and we have to wrestle with the history, get that context to truly understand how good God was and the consistency of his goodness from the Old to the New Testaments. Mm. I think something that I hear often that people struggle with is in the Old Testament, it appears as if women aren't very valued. Mm. Have you, how do you wrestle through that? Um, Is there a cultural context that we might not see? What do you say to someone who feels like that? Yeah, there is a lot of cultural context that we miss. So think of it this way. You have a brutal society where all of the pagan gods, their worship revolves around fertility, it revolves around sexuality. And um, to please these gods, in many cases, you would sacrifice children to have children, which is a total, you know, that's totally not what God was interested in. You know, that's, that's a demonic, we would in Christianity say, because you're literally killing a child so that you can have more children. And this is what the culture was doing at that time. It was mutilating people. It was subjugating women. It was abusing women. And God enters into that with people who were very flawed, who were not perfect. The Bible just gives us account after account of imperfect people. And when we read it, we go, God, why isn't God doing something about these imperfect people? And I think it's because God is showing us that us, we, modern 
people in our imperfections still have a chance to participate in what he's doing. So a lot of the the Old Testament isn't actually endorsing what the culture at large was doing or even what some of the people that God raised up were doing. You'll notice that they actually get consequences for their actions. People like Samson, who, you know, didn't follow God's outline and plan for him, he ends up dying at the same time that he frees Israel from bondage. He gets the consequence for his sin at the same time that he fulfills God's mission. So God is very consistent in using people who are imperfect, but also using them to slowly improve the culture that they were in and to release women from the bondage of the culture around them with Levitical laws that actually protected them during their time of the month, that protected them after birth, that gave them property, things like that that we miss when we don't slow down and study the context. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I loved in your book, it was an introduction. You said, theology without intimacy is a hollow thing, neither relevant nor compelling. What is theology without intimacy? What does that look like? And then the flip side, how do we step into theology with intimacy? Okay, I'll describe for you what this looks like because I think everyone who's listening will have had some experience with this. Theology without intimacy is the keyboard warrior. It's the person who is so passionate about the Word of God that they want to immediately force that theology upon someone whose heart hasn't changed. They want to make sure they align with the Word of God without first encountering God Himself. That's theology without intimacy. It's being so, so pushy and so intellectual about the Bible that you actually haven't engaged with Christ Himself. And what happens is it gets really top-heavy. You get all of this knowledge, all of this Bible knowledge, and it gets so top-heavy that it ends up unsustainable. And I think this is why you see people walk away from Christianity completely um, or swing wildly to a different extreme because their experience of God was all head knowledge. And sometimes the people teaching that head knowledge had good intentions, and maybe they even had a relationship with God, but the way they discipled people into anger, into unloving justice results in this kind of um, theology without intimacy. So how do you fix that? You always look at the Bible and the Word of God and, and the truth of God in context of the love of God. God is not two ends of a spectrum. It's not all love or all justice and truth. It's like two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. He is both fully just and fully loving. And so it's the same with theology. You can't just have head knowledge without having heart knowledge. And when you have only one or the other, you're lopsided and it's not a full Christian life. So how do we move from that head knowledge to the heart knowledge? So this is where people get really uncomfortable because unless you grew up in what I call the charismatic tradition, so Pentecostal listeners, a lot of Christians don't have experience being taught who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. We're very familiar with God. We're very familiar with Jesus Christ, but we almost have no real understanding of the Holy Spirit. He's just kind of out there. You're like, what's he do? I don't know. Um, Unless you grew up Pentecostal, in which case he's almost overemphasized to do these supernatural, exciting things. So in the end, people who aren't taught the Holy Spirit and people who grow up Pentecostal actually end up with kind of a a weak understanding of what he does according to the Bible. And he is the key 
to intimacy with God. Jesus said, I'm giving you a helper. It's better that I go so that I give you this Holy Spirit of God who's going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to give you wisdom through him. He's going to counsel your every decision. He's going to walk with you no matter what. He's your comforter. And we forget that he's the advantage of the Christian life. And I think a lot of Christians who walk away from the faith and leave it, it's often because they were never taught the beauty of having the Spirit of God with you at all times to help you grow into the image of Christ. You don't have to do anything alone. You don't have to come down hard with your theology because He will guide your words and He will bring the truth to mind. So learning who He is and learning how to walk by the Holy Spirit really is the key. So what does it look like to walk by the Holy Spirit? So this is where people go, okay, that sounds great. That's really vague. I don't understand it. In John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. So we all want to, if you're a Christian, you're like, I want to prove that I'm a disciple, right? I want people to know I'm a Christian. So sometimes what people do is they'll go, okay, well, I'll just be really kind. I'll just be really nice. I'll just be really mannerly. But that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I want you to bear much fruit. And so the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, on and on. You can't do that on your own. You'll burn out. You can't do that on your own. You can't be fully righteous on your own. So he says, abide in me and you naturally will bear this fruit. So abiding in Jesus is walking by the Spirit. It means every day when you get up, as you go about your day, you're in constant communication with Him. You are just able to talk to Him about anything and everything. Every thought, worry, decision you have, you can bring that to Him through this state of prayer, which the Apostle Paul says, pray continually. And that's all it is. It's not like on your knees, you know, bowing your head every day, all day, you know, it's just walking with him as if you're hand in hand with Christ saying, show me what my next decision is. Um, how do I handle this conflict with, between my kids? How do I handle this decision over here? And sometimes the answer isn't right away, but you're in that constant communication with him and he will, through the Holy Spirit, give you the answer either through the word or through godly friends or to your, just straight to your spirit. And that is what's so cool about the Christian life is you are constantly able to access God's wisdom. and You don't have to perform or reach a certain level or go through any rituals to get there. You just simply walk with him. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. If you've heard me talk at all over the last few years, you know that I went through a season where I had very severe seasonal allergies and it took me a while to figure out what was triggering it. And it was debilitating. If you've ever suffered from this, I actually had my polyps got really swollen in my nose and then I got chronic rhinitis. So I could not smell out of my nose. And not only that, but I would have these really awful headaches, the kind that just kept me from being able to enjoy my life. And I started going to an ENT and one of the things that he recommended was Claritin D. And so for a time period, I took Claritin and it was such a help to me. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. It works so well. 
I am a living testament to how well it works. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. So if you've ever suffered from seasonal allergies, if you can relate to kind of some of the things that I have experienced and you want some relief... I highly recommend checking out Claritin D. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Amwar makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Amwar, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for new-to-use styles. Now, I mentioned on the podcast recently that I have been pregnant or breastfeeding for four and a half years, and that season of my life came to a close recently, and I was like, I forgot I can wear normal clothes again that don't need to be breastfeeding friendly or constantly changing in sizes with a postpartum body. And so now I'm left with trying to figure out, well, what do I wear? What is my style? I can't even remember. And styles have changed so much in the last few years. And so I've been having fun experimenting with different types of clothing. And I love that Amoir has allowed me to try some different styles of jeans and kind of step outside my comfort zone and figure out what I love, what works for my body type, and to not have spent money on things that I was like, "Mm, actually, this doesn't work after I wore it a few times and realized I don't really like it. And so it's been a great opportunity for me to try out some new things and help me to define my personal style. And I also love that the style quiz, the different suggestions that they gave after I took the style quiz, it was right in line with what I would want to wear. And so I have just loved this service and I would love for you to get to try it out and get a great deal. Right now, my listeners can give Amwar a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit amwar.style forward slash crystal. That is amwar.style A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash crystal to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Amwar today. I know there are a lot of women listening who they long for a deeper relationship with Jesus. They want to understand what they believe, but they feel like There's just a lot going on in their life, and it's hard to find the time. What encouragement do you have, simple things that women can do to draw closer to Jesus, to spend time in His Word, when they also have a lot of other things going on in their life? Yeah. So I would say, first of all, I understand this completely. I have three kids. I homeschool them. We have a farm. I teach at my homeschool co-op, and I'm running the ministry, and easily— 
when you're running a ministry, it's easy to actually put aside your personal time with God for the work stuff with God, which is so dangerous, but it's so easy. So I totally relate to this. And what I'd first encourage is recognizing how vital it absolutely is to know what you believe. Like there is nothing more important. There really isn't. Because if you think about how you engage with your spouse or how you engage with your singleness or how you teach your kids what it means to be a kind person, all comes back to what you believe about your identity, who God is, what goodness is, what evil is. It all comes back to that. So this is very important. But at the same time, there's a way to engage with this that doesn't require you to stop your life. It just intertwines with your existing life. I call it lifestyle faith. I probably didn't come up with that. It's just what I call it. (laughs) But just walking with God daily and listening on audio when you're in the car, listening to the Word of God on audio when you're in the car, memorizing a scripture, having it written in dry erase on your mirror. When you sit down to lunch or dinner, whenever you sit with your kids, just praying with them, asking them, what is God teaching you lately? Reading the Word to them, even just a short passage and talking about it does not have to be complicated. It can be just woven into the fabric of your life. And that is way more authentic to our children, to the people around us than trying to stop everything and do it perfectly. I always say that perfection is the enemy of consistency, which I think you've said, Crystal, in many different ways over the years. But if you try to be perfect and get the candle and the coffee and the armchair every single time, you probably won't come to God in his word. But if you're willing to adjust it to your life stage, you'll consistently meet God and then you'll see how much he changes your life. But perfectionism will keep you from the intimacy he wants with you. As I've been reading your book, I have been thinking how important this is for our young people in this day and age. And I know that there are a lot of moms who are listening who have preteens, teenagers, and are feeling like, I don't know how to prepare my child to go out into the world. I don't know how to help them to understand what they believe because I'm really struggling to even know what I believe and I don't know how to articulate it. What encouragement do you have to a mom who's feeling like that? I think there's so much grace for learning along with your kids. Um, If you're a homeschooler, you probably already do this. You know, like a lot of times we're learning with our kids as we're educating them. And there's so much grace to do that theologically and with the Bible. In fact, I would say it gives you a better glimpse of where they're at because you're asking the same questions and you're wrestling it out alongside them. And as you do that, the Lord will provide opportunities and answers and people and godly community that can help you to answer those questions. So don't shame yourself for being where you're at. Um, But also there are so many great resources to help at Every Woman a Theologian. We provide resources for parents and for your own individual walk. And there are so many other great ministries that do that too. So I think if we shame ourselves for being in process, we're less likely to continue the work than if we say, hey, this is exciting. I'm learning with them. It's a family endeavor. And that's that's a good thing. I know you have younger children. How are you seeking to disciple them and help them in your lifestyle faith? Like, what does it look like in your home to help them to understand what they believe? That's a great question. So, this can start so young. Like, it can be really little. So, I have a seven and a half year old, five and a half, and two and a half, pretty little. But it's as simple as 
when we're navigating a sibling conflict, for example, um, teaching them what scripture says about reconciliation and how to make things right with one another and reminding them, hey, this is what God wants unity between you and your sibling because he wanted unity with you. And he loved you so much that he made that possible in these ways. And that's why we're seeking unity with your sibling. Let's talk about how you were offended and let's walk through it in this way. Or maybe they have a question about, you know, why do bad things happen, mom and dad? That's a great opportunity to talk about, okay, what's Genesis 1 through 3 say? There was a perfect world, sin entered it, and it affects us now, but there's a redeemer. And he was promised in Genesis 3 to crush the snake. And he did that. And so here's how we walk that out now. It's super simple and quick. And one great example practically is when our kids are really struggling with their emotions, for example, um, we, we sit with them and we talk about it, but then we direct their hearts to the Lord in saying, God, I know you care about my emotions. I know you care about how I feel. We say, God loves me when I'm happy, sad, or mad. He loves me no matter what. And we can bring that to God and say, God, I'm really struggling right now with self-control and how I'm treating my siblings, but I know you love me and I know you're going to help me to find comfort in you in this moment. Please help me with my feelings. So just redirecting them to God and showing them how much he cares about them in their hearts at every opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think when we change seeing those, what could seem like a hard conversation as an opportunity to point them to Jesus, it really changes how I'm approaching it too. Because it's not like, oh no, oh no, we have to deal with this or frustration over the fact like you're fighting yet again or whatever it is, but instead seeing it, oh, it's another opportunity to point them to Jesus. And so we get lots of opportunities at our house to point our kids to Jesus, but what a gift. So the subtitle of your book, Every Woman a Theologian, Know What You Believe, Live It Confidently, Communicate It Graciously. I feel like the communicate it graciously is something that our world is in desperate need of. Um, are there times when you, you know, you know what you believe and you're hearing, you're having a conversation with someone who believes very differently than you and you just want to communicate to them the correct belief but they're just not hearing you. What do you what do you do in those situations? I think this really goes back to understanding the role of the Holy Spirit. Anybody who follows me is probably sick of hearing me say that. But I I talk about it a lot because it's one of the reasons that we as Christians should be so gracious is because we understand what is within our control and what is not. And someone's response to us is not within our control. Someone's response to your sharing of the gospel is not within your control. It is the Lord's job through the Holy Spirit to minister to their heart, to walk with them on that journey, to convict them, or to continue to teach them. Our job is only to share what He calls us to share. So if somebody is offended or bothered with how you're communicating, I think a couple of good questions to ask are, was I rude? <laughs> Like if I was rude, that's my fault and I need to repent of that. But if I wasn't rude and the only thing that was offensive was the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that he's saying, hey, I'm exclusive, but I love you and I want you to know me. If that's the part that's offensive, Jesus said that it would be. And so at that point, you just leave it in God's hands. Don't try to convince somebody. Don't try to, you know, make the the clothes on the sale. That's not what this is about. You know, there's a whole church around the world that should all be ministering. And that means that each person who meets a Christian 
should be being touched in a positive way by God in them. And it's not all up to you. I, a lot, I think there was a, a pastor who had noted that most people who come to know Christ and choose to follow Christ have been touched by at least eight Christians before they make that decision. So I think understanding that you're just part of someone's journey, it's not your job to force them. In fact, that would not be a good thing. Um, but it is your job to follow what the Lord convicts you to say and to show them the love of Christ is a very freeing reality. Mm, yes. I love that. We don't have to close the sale. You talk in your book, I want to close with this. You talk about how the love of God is the glue of scripture. It's the binding of the theological truth we study. The Christian God is distinct because he is in every part of his being love. Love is him. There is no love in this world that can exist apart from him. And I just think that that's so beautiful. And I'd love for you to just close with sharing for the woman who she's she's struggling right now. Like she's feeling like, is God really good? There's a lot going on in my life and I'm just feeling like things are falling apart. And if God is truly good, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? Just speak to her and encourage her heart today. Oh yeah. I've asked that question. Um, I've been through a lot in my own life and I identify with that kind of questioning and suffering, whether it's postpartum anxiety or an autoimmune disease or major financial loss, job loss. My husband and I have been through all of that. And the thing that I come back to is that, first of all, I don't follow God for what he can give me or get me. I follow God because he loves me and he's good and he's true. And when I experience suffering, I can know that Christ actually experienced everything I'm experiencing and more. God saw the suffering and he said, that's not too much for me. I'm going to come down and I'm going to experience it so that I can, I can take these people into myself. I can give them a home with myself and I can say, I have walked through everything you've walked through and I did it so I could welcome you home. So everything you're experiencing, he resonates with, he understands, and he offers all of himself. I think the thing we often want is for God to take away the suffering. We want God to take away the pain instead of understanding that he went through the suffering and through the pain to offer us his presence. And when we settle into that presence and when we rely on and live there is when we truly experience what Jesus said was the abundant life. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't always mean the suffering goes away, at least not immediately, but it does mean you have all of God, all of his presence, all of his comfort, all of his love in the suffering because he fully understands it and he's redeeming it, whether today or eternally. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for what you are doing to help point women to Jesus. Um, it's interesting reading this book. I actually, three days before I read one of the sections, I was just having a conversation with my 18-year-old and she was wrestling through what she believed. And she was saying, Mom, I don't, I don't know about, it was just a specific topic that she was just struggling through. And we were having the conversation. And then three days later, I read it in your book. So I literally screenshotted the pages and sent them to her. And it was so encouraging to me as a mom to give me a reference point to have the conversations with her. And so not only is this book just for helping you as a woman 
know what you believe, live it confidently, communicate it graciously. But I also feel like if you have children, if you work with teens, if you're involved at all with, um, you know, this next generation, this book will help give you language and context and just a starting point for conversations. One mom told me that she's going to be going through it with her 16-year-old daughter, which I just thought was so um, beautiful. And so I just am so grateful, Felicia, for what you are doing online for the work that you're putting in. I know it's a lot. I know that this is not everyday easy and fun. It's work. And I know that there are people who come on Instagram and leave comments, not really loving everything that you're doing. And so I just appreciate that you keep showing up despite that. And I see you're engaging with people in the comments graciously. Like you're, you're walking out knowing what you believe, living it confidently, but also communicating it graciously. And I'm learning so much from watching you do that. So thank you. Thank you for writing this book and thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 